Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw. You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. Here we go, In the Booth. On a beautiful day in downtown Syracuse, outside the palatial worldwide headquarters of Galaxy Communications. One of those days where people are out and about, just took a... Uh, Brisk walk, uh, Polly trying to cram in some lunch on what's been a uh, a busy day already. Heading to the place, go to the kind of the same place a couple days a week. I'm going to have soup. Soup of the day, mushroom barley. No. It's just not one that inspired a, a lot of confidence. I might enjoy mushroom barley soup, but it's a risk I can't take. I mean, if you get that. And it's not satisfying or filling. You just can't go there, right? So, Italian sandwich. They do a great job with their sandwiches. I don't know that I'm a sandwich uh, purist. Not a huge mayonnaise guy. You're Italian. It was a delightful sandwich. I just crushed it (laughs) to its ever-living life. But... um, the mayonnaise on the Italian, why does that have to be? I don't put mayonnaise on anything, so I'm the wrong guy to ask right. it. Not a big fan of the mayo. I think if you're going Italian, that needs to be oil, oil, maybe mustard, yeah. not mayo. But I know two places that I frequent, both uh, if you order the it- Italian mayo. Now, I wouldn't order it with that, but I'm not, you know, it's already pre-made in this case. I'm not going to talk them out of it. And it was delightful. Don't get me wrong. A little bit of mayonnaise goes an awfully long way. I I can't even look at mayo. Just thought of what how did she it, do to you? <laughs> Our friend uh, Andrew Siciliano has a uh, he is very vocal on Twitter. He, he abhors mayo. Has a long standing hatred of that particular condiment. I agree. But you know, mayo is the basis of a lot of you know. You got your potato salad and your mac salad. And, that type of thing. I think everybody needs a little mayo in their life, but <clears throat> I have a thing with that too. I won't eat a mac salad, a potato salad, a tuna salad unless I make it myself. No, I get that. I'm so, not. I'm not that hard line, but I I know where you're coming from. I would uh, invoke that when it comes to chicken salad or tuna salad. Those types of things you might order out. Oh, come on, stop. <laughs> I mean, deviled eggs are. A f- they're only at like a family thing where you th- you can kind of trust the person or where they came from. I mean, you don't I got into this with Mike Waters once, either texting or Twitter. The deviled eggs below the counter at the gas station—that's one of the most disgusting offerings there possibly. <laughs> be. How hungry would you have to be to eat the deviled eggs under the counter at a gas station? Not not ever happening. Especially to gas, I mean, there's so many other things at a gas station that, I mean, I would, I don't know about pig's feet, but I would go. Uh, Have you ever done the pickled egg? Pickled egg, I don't think I would do either. I'd probably do pickled egg over deviled egg, that- but I definitely would do beef jerky and all the other things that are at ca- gas stations before a deviled egg at a gas station. There aren't, deviled eggs don't, they don't exist in restaurants, generally speaking. Uh, 
that's a family reunion staple. It's either there or not at all. It's also kind of a you, you probably you're, you're a Italian Catholic uh, background family. Do you find that the deviled egg pops up a lot at the post funeral? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That'll happen. Feast there. Yeah. They're they're at any family get together really. There's a devil. Really, day. that's yeah. a, com- a common place. My mom so. used to make them for Easter. For really, the, yeah. It was always a devil egg sitting there. I didn't realize it was that uh, that much of a staple. I mean, my mom was just into them. <laughs> yeah, easy to make, cheap, hardcore, loaded up, bacon, paprika, the whole deal, or no, just, just is it paprika or is it nutmeg? Paprika. I yeah. Guess. I yeah okay, no, so hers okay. were just whipped yolk with something in it. And- <clears throat> wow. That's a stirring start to the program. Uh, you can join us. If you'd like to chime in on what you do or do not like mayonnaise on, that's a hell of a topic. There's not much well, at a gas station you should eat. No. 437-7644-ESPN44. Although if you watch some of those uh, late night food shows like I do in the diners, drive-ins, and dives, those types of things, an inordinate amount of those used to be gas stations. Yes. Right? Gus's Fried Chicken in Memphis, you've done that with us. That place, it looks like they were changing oil like yesterday or maybe even earlier the same day i do i will say i've uh, come to like sheets they're not around uh, sheets here yet. Are strong yeah they, they've got good food you can go if in you're there a philadelphian yeah wawa yeah. and sheets are similar you can get a burger made for you while you're pumping your gas it's the best and it has the you have a lot of control you can order the i want more of this less yeah, it's of all that. automated yeah yeah touch screen i'm a big fan of the sheets and for somebody that spends a lot of time on the road as much as you do paul you'd be an, an authority on that it's a late game this week, so uh, Polly is heading up tomorrow, gracing us with his presence today. The rest of us are getting on one of those airplanes and uh, heading out that way to uh, Boston this afternoon. Game time tomorrow at 9 o'clock. We'll talk uh, about that when we continue. Hear from Coach Beheim on that. Certainly no margin for error for the Qs. They need the season sweep of Boston College, a team that has a barely winning record, certainly has a losing record in conference. So we'll get into that in a bit and uh, talk Olympics a little with our friend Bill Spaulding. He was involved in NBC's coverage, not uh, from Pyeongchang, but from their studios in Stamford, calling all kinds of events uh, from long range. We'll get an overview on the Olympics with him and uh, put that to bed for another four years. That's as we continue with In the Booth. You can join us by phone at 437-7644-ESPN44 on ESPN Radio Syracuse. We've got a triple header Friday in our Drivers Village High School Games of the Week. It's the girls' sectional finals from the Carrier Dome, and it all gets started at 345 on ESPN Radio AM 1200. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. We are back in the booth. It's brought to you each and every day by CH Insurance and Burdick Toyota. Of course, we might not have a show for a while, which uh, just sparked my memory. Seth's uh, promo there about uh, high school basketball. There's some coming up in the Dome this weekend. And since we may have, won't have a show tomorrow, game day and travel day. Won't have a show Thursday, Syracuse women's basketball, playing in the ACC tournament in Greensboro against Virginia Tech. Probably won't have a show Friday because uh, if the women win on Thursday, which uh, they beat Virginia Tech in the regular season, then uh, they could move on, and the uh, Orange women are on a nice winning streak here to end the season. And then next week we'll probably just bag it. But anyway, Polly, it's the Bears and the Warriors in the Dome 
on Sunday for all the marbles. Have the uh, Bears uh, beaten the Warriors once already? I think they split. Oh. Nango versus West Hill, huh? How cool is that? Can Are we get a... Bet lunch on it? For yeah. The, for the ACC tournament? I'm already or? out a couple of <clears throat> lunches already. By a Shake Shack? If- Shake Shack? All right. All right. I'm down. All right. Go Bears. Let's go. Go Warriors. All right. So what, what time is that game? Because I'm going gonna, gonna to go if it doesn't conflict with the Hardwood Club Banquet, which, which is uh, Sunday night. West Hill. Chittin yeah, see if we can go. get that info for you. Yeah, please do. Get on that. Let's go. I'll I'll go if, it, if schedule permits. Be there rooting on the Bears, and we'll uh, wager Shake Shack on it. That's a deal. Uh, what's what's the loss? It means we're going to a high school basketball game and Shake Shack. Uh, that would mean three uh, thirty on. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's all right. Well, I'll do that. I'm there. All right. Go Bears. I think they split this year in the regular season. And I want to say it's possible they both won on the road. Now you're making me yeah. Google things. Yeah. Get in there. Oh, forget. There's one. Nango beat West Hill 61-45. That looks like a home game at Chit. And yeah, and then they... West Hill won 52-51. Okay, probably a bad call on that one. <laughs> All right, well, I'm excited. Let's uh, let's do that Sunday in the Dome, three thirty. I'm not requiring you to be there. I'll I'll tell you what happened. You ready for a, a hot take? <clears throat> Shake Shack's chicken sandwich is better than Chick Fil A. Is that yeah? People like that. Uh, what do they call it? The chicken uh, chicken shack, or they call yeah, oh, so good. I I introduced myself to that last. And ACC the fact that it's across the street from our hotel in Brooklyn, um, where there's a lot of options, but that's a uh, very short walk, easy uh, drop in there. Then maybe I'll go twice to. Have a have a chicken and have a a burger there, and a shake or a, what are they like? There they call it the concrete. A lot of good stuff going on. Okay, well that's exciting, and I'm confident this year this is going to be the year, Paulie. Going to stick around the ACC tournament for a while. Not about a while, not about a long. Two run, wins. Going to win one. I'm going to win one. One. All right. We'll see how many they need to win. Uh, that'll be a function of these next two games. If you lose to Boston College, then might not matter a great deal on uh, what happens at the ACC tournament in uh, Brooklyn. But uh, good times and fun to be had by all. Uh, As far as this matchup with BC, you're looking at two of the best backcourts in America. Forget about the ACC. And for Syracuse, not only is Tyus Battle the focal point of this team, and uh, he did sit out the last minute of Duke, which kept him from playing his 10th consecutive complete game, I think we sometimes forget how good both these players that we're about to hear sound bites on, uh, O'Shea Brissett and and Tyus Battle, how good they have been. And for Battle, when you look at it, it was really the middle of February last year where things f- switched on for him. And yes, he's had some games better than others uh, during that period of time. But uh, from that point on, from the end of his uh, freshman year, through really the entirety of his sophomore year, he has been rock solid for the Syracuse basketball team. He came off a really good freshman year where he really finished the year very strong, so he showed what he could do. He worked really hard over the summer. I I think he really improved tremendously uh, because of his hard work. He went 
from, you know, being a third option or fourth option our team to being the first option. And he stepped in from the beginning and has, uh, has embraced that and uh, has been very, very good on both ends of the court. Coach Beheim wasn't typing as he was speaking. That uh, is from the ACC's media teleconference, which is uh, held every week, and uh, other people with open microphones were doing the typing uh, while Coach Beheim was speaking there about Tyus Battle, Battle and uh, Boston College's outstanding guards, Jerome Robinson and Kai Bowman, set to go head-to-head here uh, tomorrow night at Chestnut Hill in the first game battle 24 points did have six turnovers but uh, 24 points of the oranges 81 they shot a season high 60 percent from the field robinson and bowman got theirs they combined for 41 and the next best score for boston college jordan chapman had four three-pointers and and 12 points in that game but it was one where syracuse got a great deal of balance five double figure scores including o'shea Brissett, who we've talked about over and over with coach Beheim, without him etc We've taken for granted just how good he has been. Now, did he shrink a little bit or or come up with some struggles at Duke first time? Yeah, a lot of people have a rough game first time at Duke. But uh, outside of that, O'Shea Brissett has been as good as you'd want for a first-year player. He's been there every night for us. Um, his Especially his rebounding has been there every single night. He... Uh, Gets to the basket, he scores. His shooting has improved from the three-point line as the season has has progressed tremendously. Um, he's still missing a lot around the basket, which I think he uh, is working on. I think he can get better there, um, but he's uh, he he's given us very very consistent. Uh, effort and play um, every game, every single game, which is you know unusual for a freshman. Well, that's for sure, uh, in part because of these types of influences that uh, pop up. And when you're a freshman, you have a lot of first-time experiences, first time at Cameron Indoor. That's a lot for Marek Dolezal. That's a lot for O'Shea Brissett. And that was an off game for him on Saturday night, six points, six turnovers, Two for 13 shooting in 37 minutes. One thing about Brissett, it's it's hard to imagine how poor he has been on two-point field goals this year. For the month of January, he was around 25% on two-point field goals. 0 for 6 in that department against uh, Duke on Saturday. But to contribute to the level that he has on the glass especially, but uh, certainly scoring, and as Coach Beheim pointed out, there's been a lot of games where his shot has been there, particularly later in the year. He is absolutely an all-conference uh, caliber freshman player and all-freshman uh, team member, O'Shea Brissett, and a guy that has uh, probably exceeded expectations of many, and I think Bayheim will be quick to point out that he's not one of them, that uh, he figured he should have been a top 20 or 30 recruit and had really high expectations on him. Well, as we've talked about throughout the season, there are uh, limitations on a lot of college players, and for Syracuse, one of the reasons they've come up short more than they would like to this year is you have players who are works in progress and probably none more so than Pascal Chuku, who's a big tease in a lot of ways. He's 7-2. Uh, I think the average fan thinks it's easy for a guy that big. It's not. He's 
hard to stay out of foul trouble. It's hard to stay healthy and overcome back injuries and the types of things that uh, Chuku deals with. He's struggling on the offensive end, struggles to hang on to the basketball or to be a guy that can be thrown the ball with his back to the basket to make a, a post move. What he's not struggling with is his defense, shot blocking, rebounding, all of which contributed to uh, Syracuse hanging in there for a good deal of the game until he fouled out at Duke. I thought he walled up really well. I thought he did a lot of good things. He still, when he captures a rebound, he doesn't get it. He doesn't get it and, and keep people away. They knock it out, out a lot. He's getting better, but he was very good defensively for, for t- in tonight's game. I thought he was really good. In the uh, Duke game, Chuku had 12 boards in 24 minutes. Orange uh, hung on the glass with Duke, hung on the glass with North Carolina. Uh, Syracuse has dominated some teams on the on the boards this year, but really not the ones that you would expect. The the or let's put it this way: they've not um, dominated on the boards against sort of their own size. You know, against the Dukes, the Carolinas, whatever they've they've been in there. You know, so Jim Mayhem, I think, if you told him at the start of the year, every time you play Duke or Carolina, you're going to be minus four on the boards, he would take that. But against a lot of other opponents, when you're bigger. And more physical, you need to be plus 10 and 12, and they've been that in, in a lot of games over the course of the season. So I think what you can expect in this game tomorrow night, the Syracuse defense has been consistently good. You can count on Boston College scoring less than it usually does or and at least for uh, Robinson and Bowman to have to work to get theirs. BC averages 75 points per game. The Syracuse uh, opponent typically gets 64 on average. It'll be a Syracuse-friendly crowd on the road, so it's not the most demanding road game, but the Orange did lose there the last time. It's a smaller gym and and a lot of things that uh, come in play with that. I thought the guys asked uh, Adrian Autry a great question uh, when he was on, I want to say Orange Nation, yesterday, maybe the day before. Well, of course, yesterday was Monday and the day before was Sunday, so let's, let's go with yesterday. And uh, I think it was Steve asked, well, you know, we know the whole one game at a time mantra, but pretty much all of these next two to three games are in a pack. You've got to win them all. And uh, from a coaching perspective, it's just continuing the day-to-day approach and grind, and that's what they're going to need to have to do tomorrow and not view it as anything more than that day's game and the next one and a chance to win on the road where Syracuse has been actually pretty decent this year. Virginia Tech, huge at home last night, locked up NCAA tournament berth, really, with wins this year against uh, Virginia, Duke, and North Carolina. What more do you want than that? Ten conference wins. And uh, that sports blows me away that uh, Duke looks so good on Saturday and then committed a bunch of turnovers and uh, let Virginia Tech Back in the game, and Virginia Tech at home is uh, tough to beat. They closed them out against the uh, Blue Devils last night at uh, Castle Coliseum. We'll address that game a bit later as we continue with Do We Care from Joe Salzone rolling along in the booth. This is ESPN Radio Syracuse. Get on the block with Brent Axe. 
Raising a puppy and raising a child are very interesting. Talk a lot about pee and poop. That, that's basically what it comes down to. The first two years of a child's life and the first year or so, maybe a little less than that, of a puppy, it all comes down to pee and poop. Did the puppy pee? Did the puppy poop? Did the puppy pee? Did the puppy poop? Pee? Poop? On the block with Brent Axe, 4 to 6. ESPN Radio 97.7, 100.1, 1200 AM and 1440 AM. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait. The other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Here's Joe Salzone. I don't care no more. The Major League Baseball Players Association has filed revenue-sharing grievances against four teams. The Marlins, Pirates, Athletics, and Tampa Bay Rays are all accused of failing to appropriately spend revenue-sharing money. In a statement, the Pirates called the grievance, quote, patently uh, absurd. No comment from the other three teams. I wrote here, patently baseball. Major, <laughs> Major League no, 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 no. Patently absurd is the phrase. What you wrote here is, because I was really excited to find out what this was, plantain baseball. <laughs> I love plantains. So did I call this 10 minutes ago or what? Yes. Right? So I enjoy a plantain too. They're typically grilled <laughs> or fried. They're in the banana family. What is plantain <laughs> baseball? I can uh, assure you that you got the the copy that was intended for me because there are saboteurs in that back office mm-hmm. who really want me to make a fool of myself. Which I well, can that's, do. I was going to say, that doesn't need any help. Yeah, I can do that very well on my own. So and and what is patently baseball? No, <laughs> patently absurd. That That's the phrase that people use. So I, I got the one that you was supposed one, to be yes. plantain baseball on mine. And, also. and I know Con mine says is plantain right baseball. And I thought maybe they were trying to make the claim that it was plantation <laughs> baseball, which would be a very, that'd be a, quite the statement for a major league team to put. And I'm thinking plantain. I even Googled plantain baseball <laughs> 10 minutes ago. I did. I'm like, is this an, like, I think I know baseball. This is an expression that I'm not familiar with, plantain baseball. Let me just tell you that um, the Dominican Republic team in the last uh, World Cup deal there, they went by the phrase plantain power. Look at this. How oh, plantains right. became the Dominican Republic's World Baseball Classic good luck charm. So once again, you didn't know how... Right you were there, Joe. Thank you. Accidentally tripping right into it. Anyway. Lesson learned. Close out your Word document so your jerk coworkers don't. So that's part of a challenge need- night in, my, in the class I teach. We do that same trick. Usually people are smart enough to read their script and catch it before <laughs> But do I need to go out and talk to people? No, it's, I think now we're probably accomplishing that by broadcasting this, that the, hopefully people are listening <laughs> in the station, but... Plantain, and then Joe actually read it, and then he kind of stumbled through it. But plantain baseball, well, no, I, not I, a thing. But maybe if you read the script once through before you you went on the air with it, I did. I have okay. the, I have the good copy. Okay, and you still screwed. Uh, it. I, I still well. screwed it up. Um, yeah, it's not not strong. Anyway, these sports, every sport that has a salary cap should have a salary floor. And what's happening here is the Marlins are stripping down to bare bones and going to try to build their team back up. The Pirates are not trying this year. They traded away all their good players. Um, you need to spend a, a certain amount. What's happening is private business. Oh, I just happen to own a baseball team. If you own a sp- professional sports team, it's incumbent on you to compete. If you're using it simply as a, uh investment vehicle and, you know, a lot of times – these teams are all these are all profitable businesses. Their 
pocketing the money that they get for revenue sharing instead of putting it back in the product. That's not what the intention was. Hopefully, they could put it in the plantains, I suppose. Just, <laughs> yeah, we just very lucrative. Just need a whole lot of plantains. <laughs> Uh, Virginia Tech head basketball coach Buzz Williams got some cheers during their game Monday against Duke after grabbing a microphone and asking fans to quit cussing. Virginia Tech was down uh, by four points at home but came back to beat Duke 64-63. to I think if Alex or whoever altered your script really had any creativity, it would go through and weave the same theme all the way through. <laughs> so, you know, he could say... You know, give me my banana or some, <laughs> something like that instead of instead of quit cussing or. Um, anyway, he did say quit cussing. I saw that, and uh, Jim Beheim has been asked to do that. I mean, that there's the famous video of him back in the day when, uh, speaking of citrus fruits, when they were throwing oranges at the backboard when Patrick Ewing was here. Can't get a lot of plantains in Central New York, but uh, back then oranges and. Uh, you know, hey, I'll, he said, I'll ask the officials to give us a technical foul unless it stops. That's going to the, the next level. But, uh, yeah, the student section was a little unruly last night, and uh, Buzz Williams got them back in line. Huge win for Virginia Tech. That's the first time they've gone to back-to-back tournaments. Like around here, we like to talk about how bad it is that if the team doesn't make the tournament this year, they'll miss it three out of four, and woe is us, and this is terrible. Virginia Tech has been trying, too. This is the first time they've made back-to-back tournaments in more than 30 years, back to 1986. Could be worse. It could. And in Pennsylvania, an 11-year-old... Could be without plantains. Well, <laughs> an 11-year-old has been summoned to jury duty in Pennsylvania. The kid says he's excited to go, but court officials say it was a mistake and the youngster will not be in the jury. You know what's truth, though? An 11-year-old probably could sit there and do just as good a job <laughs> and like the fresh perspective of an 11-year-old... I think would uh, probably be helpful on whatever that case that is. If I was being accused of something, stealing I would plantains, not want an eleven-year-old deciding my fate. <clears throat> Why? You don't think they'd be able to handle the nuances of the case, or wouldn't have if the I judgment? If I were to murder Joe Salzone, I would not want an eleven-year-old going over DNA evidence. I get a feeling of all the people here, I might be the last person on that list. Ooh. Swish. Yes. Do We Care is brought to you by Cam's Pizzeria. Cam's love it for a slice. Last on the list to be killed by Polly. I'm going to say so. <laughs> no. You, really? No. 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 <laughs> no. Your, know your place in life. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> I think, Joe, you might need to check the self-awareness a little bit. <laughs> All right. Go work on that. Thank you. Come up with some more fruits. <laughs> I don't think we're going to have a show for another week and a half, so... Plantains on a pizza, yes or no? Password, no. Password, protect your, uh, I, I, your document. I think I have to. There's no such thing as plantains on a pizza. Plantains are the um, kind of a garnish. Like you go to one of these Brazilian steakhouse places or that type of thing, a little, little maybe light dessert or a garnish. That's what you do with the plantains. You grill them, fry them. Okay? All right. Next time. Have some plantain recipes for the next time you come in. Chef Park. But there's no such thing as plantain baseball, <laughs> unless it's the Dominican Republic national team. All right, back with more. 
talk Olympics. I think we're in the right spirit for that. This is in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. This is the Burdick Toyota SU Basketball Pregame Show with Danny Shays. We've talked all along that I think Matt Moyer has a lot more contribution than we've seen. He's he's big, he's athletic, he's great going to the rim, decent shooter, aggressive offensively. One hour before tip, get all the latest news and info. The Burdick Toyota SU Basketball Pregame Show with Danny Shays. We are the pulse of the orange. ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse brought to you by CH Insurance and Burdick Toyota. Good to have you along with us today. Wrapping up the show here in just a little bit. Headed to the team bus to the airport and to Boston where our next guest joins us from. We welcome in Bill Spaulding, who uh, was a big part of a lot of NBC's Olympic coverage and a uh, Syracuse University graduate. Hello, William. How are you? Doing well, Matthew. Can give you the early weather scouting report here in Boston. Please do. Uh, blue skies, warm weather, temperature in the 50s. I think you're going to love it. We'll fit right in. That's exactly what we have right here today. You know, lovely day in uh, central New York. Should point out uh, before we get back into the Olympics that uh, the news just came across while we've been on the show here today. Not a surprise, but good to see it officially that uh, Tiana Mungakahia for the Syracuse uh, women's basketball team, the sophomore Australian point guard, uh, has been named first team All-ACC. So uh, well-deserved and congrats to her. The nation's leader in assists by a large margin and uh, Bill's called his share of uh, women's basketball games here at Syracuse and at BC as well. And Bill, I thought we'd have you on to put the Olympics to bed. Um, heard the curling guys on this morning with uh, Golik and Wingo, uh, Adnan Verk sitting in, and John Schuster, and uh, the winning skip and the gold medal there in a sport yep. that uh, is not commonplace here in America. And pretty cool to see and hear, in this case, the enthusiasm that a guy like that carries for his sport and for his place uh, getting caught up in this Olympic history. Yeah, I, I think that's such a good story of perseverance, too. When you look at John Schuster, uh, the past couple Olympics, he'd, he'd really gone there and struggled. Got off to a rough start here. Uh, the U.S. was 2-4, and four, looked like they were on their way out of the tournament. And he said he, he woke up one morning, all of a sudden realized, hey, I'm at the Olympics. i got to have fun with this. And said he'd never had fun at the Olympics the previous two times around. Started having fun. They, they upset Canada. That Picked a, a long win streak to get them into the playoffs. Had to beat Canada again, and, and Canada's the, the superpower in curling, uh, men's and women's side. Knocked Canada out in the semifinals, won that uh, gold medal match with an amazing, uh, if, if you know anything about curling, an end is like an inning. They scored five in the uh, eighth end, which is a huge number, all off a great shot by John Schuster. He and his guys uh, just just so happy to be there. And I've heard already what it's doing for uh, curling around the United States, a lot of places are hosting Learn to Curl Nights. They always try to do that after the Olympics with uh, additional interest. But a lot of Learn to Curl Nights are already sold out at uh, places. I know I looked locally in the Boston area, two or three places that are either adding extra dates or out of booking for Learn to Curl Nights. So you can see what that type of success on that stage can can do for a sport that most folks only see once every four years at most. No, I love it because it's the same phenomenon that we see you know, around here when the Australian Open starts, mm-hmm. people head to the local sporting goods stores and they buy tennis rackets. When the Masters is on, you see more people out at the driving range and the, and the weather starts getting better. And uh, that's natural for all of these sports in the Olympics. Curling is just, to me, one of the reasons that it's worth talking about is that's the type of sport where I think, and obviously wrongly, 
the average Joe six-pack on the couch goes, hey, I could do that. It, it, <laughs> it looks like it's an everyman thing, and these guys have real jobs and, and that type of d- deal. I mean, obviously they're heavily invested in their sport, but uh, they're not pros to the same degree that, that uh, you do see in some of the other sports. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, the average Joe can certainly go out, have a good time, uh, and and try to learn to curl. But it's amazing what these guys who are at this level do. It's the same thing if you or I were to watch the the U.S. Open Bowling Championships and then think we could go out there and bowl a 300 game. I could I could probably put a couple pins down and hit the gutter every once in a while. I'm sure it would look similar if uh, you or I go to, went out there and tried to pick up curling because these guys the, the amazing thing that I found from curling this year, because in the coverage, the, the great thing you see and hear is the strategic conversation, because everybody's mic'd up, and, and you hear them planning every shot. There are 10 stones and ends, so they're planning each of those shots with a purpose. They, they put this wicked spin on it uh, so that they can curl it exactly where they need to go. I mean, these guys are well-tuned, high-trained at their sport, and, and you could practice for forever and not reach that level. Those guys... Are, are phenomenal athletes, and I, I think uh, they joke from time to time they'd love to send an average Joe out there before them just so you can get a look at an average person and then look how they play for reference to, to just see how good they are, they really are. No doubt about it. That's true of all professional athletes. I think they they make it look so easy that uh, <laughs> yep. they're far better, really, at all these sports <laughs> than uh, than it looks like for us on TV. Bill Spalding is with us, uh, does a lot of things for the Ivy League Network and, and certainly uh, involved in NBC's coverage and uh, some of these Olympic sports coverage throughout the year, including ski jumping in particular. But, Bill, you said you – dealt with another sport that I think is great on television, and that is short track speed skating. That's, first of all, compelling, I would think, in addition because uh, Korea is so competitive. Oh, yes, absolutely. So, yeah, I I did the play-by-play for NBC's 4K uh, Ultra HD coverage of short track, and and it was a blast. I mean, the atmosphere in that building every night was was wild because there was not an empty seat in the house. It, It is the national winter sport in South Korea. I mean, they have, they have high school teams for short track speed skating. So that, that's how big a deal it is over there. Uh, and they got off to a great start. They won three of the first five gold medals. And, but then the, the last day, as can be the case in short track, it, it's kind of like NASCAR on ice. Uh, they, in two of the three races, had their top contenders fall, including in the team relay. And just like that, they were out of it. And I think that's why it's, it's so compelling, because even think back to the days that... Uh, Apollo Antonono was at his peak for the U.S. He won two gold medals over those three Olympics because there is a, a touch of randomness to the sport. You can fall, you can be knocked down by somebody else, and there's not a whole lot you can do about it once you get to the finals. But it, it makes for uh, great television. Uh, these guys are so fast. There were four world records set over the course of the games in short track here in South Korea as well, which is just added to the level. Uh, and Team USA got its first individual medal in short track since uh, the 2010 Olympics with John Henry Kruger winning a, a silver medal in a, the men's 1,000-meter distance as well. So that was, that was an awesome event to call. It's a great sport in general, but particularly when you're in the country where that's the sport that the fans there were the most locked into throughout the games. No doubt. A lot of fun to watch. Now, uh, a lot of the things you were involved in, or at least some of them, would fall under what we would call in America under the headline of X Games type stuff now that you've been closely uh, monitoring it and involved in knowing the, the stories and telling the stories what do you think of all that in terms of its place in the olympics i think it has grown immensely particularly here in america where we have so much success at a lot of those x games type sports that it's now earning 
top billing at the Winter Olympics. The, the men's half-pipe for snowboarding is not an easy ticket to get when you go to an Olympic Games now because it's become so popular. I mean, if you just want to see how important the, you can call them X-game sports or the, the freestyle sports are to the uh, U.S. and their Olympic team these days, all I got to do is look at the medal count at this Olympics. So there were 23 American medals, seven just from snowboarders, four golds, two silvers, one bronze between uh, snowboarding half-pipe, snowboarding slope-style, and, and snowboarding big air. So it's almost a third of the medals just came from the snowboarding team, and that doesn't even count the medals that the U.S. got in ski slope-style and ski half-pipe as well. Uh, and, you know, the, I think for those athletes, they similarly coming from that X Games background. The X Games used to be the marquee event, but I think a lot of the young snowboarders will tell you they now look at the Olympics as, as their marquee event as well. And when they, when they get there, when they get to the Olympics and realize just how much of a spotlight is on them, it even ratchets that up to a, a, another level. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say that, that those sports, the snowboarding, the freestyle snowboarding, freestyle skiing, at this point, they are ingrained in the, in the Winter Olympic program. And if anything, they're growing. Each year we see more and more sports added in. This year it was snowboarding big air was the, the new event added in. You know, you, you watch the, uh, the Winter Olympics, and, and obviously there's not uh, quite the same number of competitions or the uh, same type of uh, countries necessarily represented. It's a little narrower uh, focus in the Winter Olympics than it is in the summer for a lot of obvious uh, reasons given the, the competition. But I think you look across the sports, you get a feel for uh, what is prioritized in uh, individual countries. Norway had a great Olympics. They often do. They're tremendous in uh, anything on skis, uh, particularly the uh, cross-country skiing, etc. And then that has to do with the viability of a sport, right? If something new is introduced, if just America or just Scandinavia is good at it, then it's not probably going to continue. But if it gets caught on in these other countries, then it's got some viability, correct? Yeah, and, and, and I think you're seeing that all across the board on the, the Winter Olympic program. This, this particular Winter Olympics had more countries involved than ever before. It had more countries win medals than ever before. And, and even in the sports that we were just talking about, even in a, a freestyle snowboarding or freestyle skiing event, uh, you look back to Salt Lake or Torino, and the United States would often sweep the podium. At this point, it's, it's no guarantee to pencil in even a U.S. gold medal in the, in the halfpipe because that, that sport has grown so much with the Olympic platform. There are some outstanding snowboarders really pushing the sport coming out of Japan, uh, out of Norway, out of some of the other northern European countries. Uh, and when you go to some of the traditional sports, let's, let's look at the United States breaking down the barrier in cross-country skiing. I think... It, for my money, the moment of the Olympics was Jesse Diggins from Team USA out of Minnesota. Uh, she's been a great cross-country skier at the World Cup level and just such a great personality as well. When you see her feature, you listen to her interview, she loves her sport and she, and she takes on that role of being an ambassador for younger uh, girls and boys getting involved in the role of cross-country skiing at some point. But U.S. women had never won a medal. U.S. men hadn't won a medal since 1976. And there was never a cross-country gold medal from Team USA. She and her teammate Keegan Randall in the uh, team sprint take a gold medal, charging to the line. They upset the two powerhouses of the sport, Norway and Sweden. That would be like if you uh, grabbed, say, like the 10th best hockey team in the world. So say you took the, the women's hockey team from Switzerland or Japan, and they had to get through Canada and the United States back-to-back to win gold. That's what Team USA did 
beating Norway and Sweden in a team sprint, winning that first gold medal. And you have to think when you see that type of success on a stage, there are young kids sitting at home who watch that and tell their mom or dad, hey, I want to I want to try that. And that's how you breed the next generation of athlete for all of these sports. This is the opportunity to really get some of these Olympic sports out into the mainstream and and hook that next generation of athletes. Awesome stuff. All right, last uh, 30 seconds here with uh, Bill Spaulding, NBC Olympics, and, and did a lot of the 4K stuff, uh, probably some sports you don't watch uh, regularly. I'll end on a hockey thought. Gary Bettman has said, hey, we're probably not going to send the pros to the next Olympics either. Uh, U.S. won gold in on the women's side. A lot of no-names but compelling games on the men's side. What was the total overview of that, and, and did people feel the sting of, of uh, not having the – the top level pros or did they enjoy the competition as it was? I think on the men's side, it was clearly different, but I think you had to look at it for for what it was. And and if you're a hockey fan, some of the really enjoyable things, you saw some great young players who will be in the NHL someday. And you've got some upsets you wouldn't normally see. I mean, Germany into the gold medal game, almost winning the gold medal on the men's side on the women's side. It's always the U S and Canada. They're the two best teams in the world. They're playing for gold. And, and I think that was the highlight of the hockey tournament, that gold medal game, one of the best hockey games I've ever watched. I know mm-hmm. I was glued to my TV, even though it was 2.30 in the morning, and <laughs> it looks like millions of people around America were as well at 2.30 in the morning. No doubt. Bill, great stuff. Uh, proud of you. Continue success. We'll do it again, okay? Thank you. Talk to you and safe travels. All right, you bet. It won't be four years before we talk to uh, Bill Spalding again. Good stuff. Does great work for NBC, and uh, he will continue in a lot of uh, those different types of sports, track and skiing and a lot of good stuff so uh, good for him all right we are uh back with the show i don't know when not tomorrow not thursday maybe not friday depending on the women's basketball but we'll do it when we're here daniel baldwin coming up next on espn radio syracuse